Hello and welcome to Beginning, Middle, End, the podcast where we talk to creators and story lovers about storytelling. Laughter occurs in every society. Babies laugh, animals laugh. Humor releases physical and mental stress in the body and strengthens social bonds. A joke is one of the most compact and effective forms of storytelling. Why did the chicken cross the road? No one knows, but the road will have its vengeance. There's a beginning, the setup, the middle, which is the audience, anticipation, and expectation. Then there's the end, the punchline, which usually subverts that expectation. Complete story structure in two lines. I'm Shane, and stories are my favorite things in the world. Here to talk with me about it today is comedian John Wynn, college professor turned comedian with a charmingly skewed perspective. His quick wit and clever jokes have gotten him out of many awkward situations. For example, employment as a college professor. He was named Miami New Times' Best Comedian, a semifinalist in NBC's 2018 Stand-Up for Diversity. You've seen him perform at places like the Laughing Skull Festival. John was even the Miami Dolphins' official comedian, though he was not as funny as their season record. He's an award-winning web series creator, but more impressively, he's been banned from many all-you-can-eat sushi restaurants. John, welcome to Beginning, Middle, and Podcast. Uh, what a great, great delivery, <laughs> Shane. That was really good. It really felt natural, man. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about story. Yeah. You craft stories and jokes for your web series, so what makes a good story? Um, I think tension is always good. Conflict. Uh, I'm sure you've discussed that in other podcasts, but I think tension... And then the the release of that tension is what makes you react. And that could be hopefully, hopefully in laughter or it could be groaning, but there is some response, hopefully, hopefully some response. And I think comedy is the hardest form of storytelling because it's so subjective and what somebody may think is funny uh, is not the same thing that someone else might think is funny. And so... Uh, but the the problem is that comedy has a very definitive metric, laughter, right? The idea, the intention of comedy is to make people laugh. I mean, you know, some comics will say, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to entertain people. Yeah, well, well singers do that. You know, uh, singers, actors do that. Comedy, you're supposed to make people laugh. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the, the challenge is that there's a definitive metric but whether or not people actually adhere to uh, that response of laughter, that's, that's the challenge of it. Is there something broken about comedians that they're always searching for that audience approval that response? <laughs> I think so. I mean, you know, some people, you know, it's like uh, Seinfeld in interviews will say, you know, he's pretty stable uh, a, a childhood. But then, you know, another comedian said about Seinfeld, Bill Burr, I think, said about Seinfeld that Seinfeld is probably the angriest person in the world like who who goes into to the the the, the minutiae of a q-tip or you know what i mean or yeah. taking a shower and gets so uh angry you know they, they say that some you know good comedy is about complaining uh you're complaining and you're finding the absurdity of this particular subject or whatever and then you know that's where you're creating the tension hopefully so you're the first comedian on the show and I find many things interesting about stand-up from a story perspective. You know, comedy sets are in a way a story. There, there's a lot of times a beginning, middle, and end. Some comedians even have literally translated their sets into television shows. Right. Uh, Rami Youssef, you mentioned Seinfeld. Bill Cosby, I don't know if we have to say disgraced comedian Bill Cosby now. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think any... <laughs> 
I mean, you're right. His comedy sets were, yeah, that that's basis for that show. Sure. Yeah. And even on a micro level, I, I talked in the intro about how a joke is a complete story. Yeah. So how do you craft your jokes? I mean, you know, it, it, it's just about finding that subject, that topic that you want to talk about, and then finding that emotion that you have connected to it. It, it doesn't matter if the audience really, you know, uh, feels the same way. But as long as they understand your perspective on that particular, your feeling on that particular subject, and then that's that's the issue. I mean, you, I mean that's the challenge is just writing punchlines, just writing as many things that you think could be funny about that particular setup or situation, and then, I mean, you don't know. Again, you don't know. So that, that's the challenge. You have to go up. You have to do the joke. And, you know, where are you going to do that? You know, we're going to do the joke. At? You got to do it like at a bar. And then are people really listening? And are people really, you know, and so I think situationally um, can also influence the, the joke itself. You know, like the, 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 the way the joke works for an audience or doesn't work for an audience. So um, that's usually what, what I usually do is I try to come up with a punchline. Usually um, I sometimes work things backwards. You know, I kind of reverse engineer things sometimes. Um but, you know, you're writing a lot of punchlines, writing a lot of punchlines, at least I am, and trying to figure out which one works, which one sounds better, which is a funnier word, you know, that kind of thing. Do you ever look at other comedians and kind of deconstruct what they're doing? Yeah, I think when you're first starting, so I've been doing it, you know, over 10 years, but when you're first starting, you know, they always say you're, you're, you're sounding like, you know, who do you admire? Who do you, who do you study? Who did you, you know? And so a lot of comics, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out what you're, trying to do you don't know you know i i think you know um seinfeld said it again bringing up seinfeld that you know your your age in comedy uh, your your year your experience in comedy is like your age in life so if you're one year in the comedy you're a baby you know and so you know you're you're one year old and so if you're you know i've been doing it 12 years so i'm kind of beginning to figure it out but i still don't know exactly you know i always sabotage myself i find a way to sabotage myself a lot so you know um, the crowd might be really enjoying the show. And then all of a sudden I'll do a joke that I like a lot that I'm still figuring out, but it's like, might maybe too dirty or too raunchy. And then I'll definitely, uh, then the crowd will turn on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's one thing I definitely find interesting about standup is how the audience really participates in the development of material. You don't really have that in any other medium and TV and film, the script is set you know, actors can improvise some lines and their execution. Theater has a little bit of, uh, you know, you can react to the audience, but the the written word is pretty sacred. I think stand-up's very unique in that, you know, your your jokes can change over time. Your order of your set, everything is uh, is being developed live with uh, with the participation of the audience. I, I watched that um, expecting Amy documentary on HBO about uh, Amy Schumer developing her, her set. Uh, yeah. She was also developing her baby. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that really kind of lifted the curtain on that kind of process. Talk about the audience participation and how it helps you, hinders you. So, so again, you know, it's one of those things where um, the, 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 the definitive response, uh, the definitive uh, metric is that the laughter. And so I think if you are, you know, again, situationally, there's a great book. I forget the name of the author, but he said there's three things to think about when thinking about stand-up comedy. And, and uh, I think he used the term like MAP, M-A-P, uh, M, material, 
A, audience, and P, performance. And uh, of those things, you can only control two of those as a, as a comedian. You can only control the material. You can only control your performance. You can never control the audience, right? Uh, and so situationally, you, you, you have to learn how to develop those skills so that you can write strong enough material and perform it in a strong enough way that you can uh, siphon whatever you can, you know, from the audience in, ter- in terms of that. But some comics like Seinfeld, again, use, you know, believes that a- an audience will help edit your jokes for you. Right. If, if, if the crowd doesn't respond, it's helping you edit. You're, you're editing your material the next time. I mean, you know, you, ha- you have to kind of live with the bomb of that joke or whatever, that silence. But if a crowd is really great, they you can now try out other jokes. You can try out you can add tags. So we call it tags to certain jokes and, and keep, you know, keep building on the punchline. You know, the audience can decide for you, you know, and, and again, there's this, you know, there is this little bit of a conflict for me personally between artistry. I mean, I'm I'm now beginning to look at this as art. You know, this is this is a ch- challenging art. It is performing. It is writing. It is directing. It's you know what I mean. Um, and you know, uh, do you, do you want to please? You I mean you know part of people. There's a lot of people pleasing in in, uh, in 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 comedy, right? Comedians, I think. But do you want to always adhere to that every time you perform, which could be in the you know thousands of hours of doing performances? I don't know, right? Like, like I, I find that's why I find myself sometimes challenging the audience with what I think is funny, and then I'll comment on it, and sometimes that'll get a bigger laugh than the joke. Um, but I think that's important because you are interacting. It's you're, you're right; you're not just up there doing. But but I have worked with comics, you know, like. Uh, cruise ship comics who, you know, they have an act. They, they have the same act. They've been doing the same act for years. And, and again, not to, uh, not to demean or, or denigrate uh, cruise ship comics at all, but I think there's just a, you have a new audience every week. So you're, you can kind of fall back on the same material and not, you know, not, not again, not all of them, but you don't, you're not forced to try to generate new material. You see some of these, uh, these guys are kind of doing it by rote, you know what I mean? They're just, just kind of the same thing. So you know, I don't know. It's kind of a tough, tough, uh, but I think the audience, you know, that's what makes it fun is that it's, it's, it's live, you know, it's live. You kind of like, I mean, zoom was the worst thing I thought for comedy. I mean, it was like, you know, it's like this, this is what it looks like <laughs> zoom comedy. And you can't see anybody. You can't, you can't interact with anybody. I mean, it's a very human, uh, connection. I mean, theater, theater is great too. Right. But, but they are doing a, re- like you said, it's, it's a rehearsed thing and it's, it's cool to see that happening live. And there is a, you know, certain emotions that come with it, but comedy is loose. I mean, it's fun and, uh, or it can be fun, you know, it depends, I guess, on the comedian you're seeing and the audience that you're getting. And um, so, yeah, I don't know, man, I, I definitely felt like since I, you know, I started in Florida and then when I moved to Los Angeles, I did find myself kind of, you know, uh, self-editing more you know i don't want to say censoring that's too strong of a word but definitely editing my material to kind of fit in more with the 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 the, the audiences here and then when i go on the road to oklahoma or something like that they, they don't care you know what i mean it, <laughs> you know what i mean so it's, i don't know it's it's the catch 22 of it i suppose but the audience definitely you know i think for me i still want to, to make them laugh you know there's still that over that's the overwhelming uh, a motivation there for me. Just like, I, I want to make them laugh, you know, whatever it takes to do that. Is the first bomb the worst? 
Are they all bad? Are there some worse than others? Uh, it, it's like um, the first one I think has got to be the worst. I mean, I don't know if people are aware when they bomb. Like I'm, I'm like hypercritical. I'm a very hypercritical uh, person. I think that just comes from you know my Asian upbringing, being very critical of myself. Uh, the first time I bombed, I ate it so bad. Like I just, <laughs> it was so, it was disaster, man. Kids okay to tell it? What happened? Is that all right? To yeah. tell what happened? Okay. <laughs> so this is maybe my third time on stage. So I started in Miami. So I drove the Boca Raton, which is like 45 minutes away. There was an open mic on a Wednesday night at this place called uh, the Funky Buddha, right? It's like a little, like a bar, a hookah bar and, you know, you know, all arts. I didn't know anything about. I always thought of comedy, you know, comedy clubs, comedy clubs. You know, when I did the one bar, I was like, "Oh, it's cool. This is going to be, you know, <laughs> super artsy, right?" And we, I, I go there with another comic, and we get there, and there's a list. You're supposed to sign up on this list, and oh man, we, you know, we, we get there like at, you know, ten o'clock at night and, and sign the list. So it's like, oh, we're going up at like one, one, one thirty in the morning. And yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of my jokes. I'm like very memorized, you know, very memorized, and. uh this kid goes up to do poetry and it's like some of like the, some of the best poetry <laughs> I've, I've ever heard in my life. You so know, it's not it, just comedy night. No, right. It's music, poetry, spoken <laughs> okay. word. And I, you know, wasn't into that scene and I see this kid do poetry. Right. And I, I, I hear like women sniffling, you know, like they're like moved, they're crying, they're emotionally moved. I felt, I was like, Oh my God, this is like so good. Like he's talking about like his struggle and, you know, in life and, and then he gets off, you know, stage like, hey, coming to the stage is John Wynn. You know what I mean? And so, like, everybody's, like, very sad, like, you know, crying. And I get up there, and I, I forget I forget the punchline to my first joke. And I just go, oh, and I just, you know, dropped the F-bomb. And I was like, ah, and I just started freaking. I mean, I, I total collapse. And then I did one more joke. I, I, I kind of, re- you know, I was like, I did a joke. And I got kind of a tepid. Was, people are gone now. It's like one thirty in the morning. It's like four <laughs> yeah. people. And, you know, and you just think, oh, I'm just going to do the jokes. People are going to laugh, joke, laugh, joke, laugh. But no, right? There's no interaction. I didn't know. think about the interaction. And this guy, I can still remember his, uh, what he looked like to this day. He looked like uh, like the teacher in Beavis and Butthead, like with the long blonde hair <laughs> and like the glasses and like a goatee. I used to, if I ever see that guy. Uh, and he, <laughs> I did one joke and then he goes, he, well, I'm still up there. He goes, hey, you're like George Costanza. <laughs> you know, Seinfeld's been off the air for like you know, right. 10 years now at this point. I, I go, what? I, I'm like George Costanza. This is my first audience interaction. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? I'm like George Costanza. He goes, yeah, you only got one good joke. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, man, but okay. And so I did my set and I get off stage. And so the other comic who's with me, he, he, you know, he doesn't do well, you know, either. But it was amazing to me on the drive back. Like, you know, there's a, del- there's a delusion in comedy, right? There's delusion. Mm-hmm. Like, Are you questioning yeah, your life choices at that point? Yeah, you're, you, you know, you have, to, you have to tell yourself you're funny. So you can get you go up and do it again and chase that high that you got, whatever that for it's like you know, a drug addiction almost, right? You're trying to get back on stage to get, get that high. But I just remember driving home and it's like, you know, it's two in the morning now. I was just like, Oh yeah, man, we'll just pull into a ditch right here. <laughs> I'm cool with that. I'm cool with just driving. You see those two lights, I'm just gonna go ahead and weave right into traffic here. But I just remember the guy next to me was like, how, how do you think I did? I was like, I was like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> 
two people there. It was terrible. Was that, that's good. I mean, what are you talking about? So, I mean, that first bomb is pretty bad. I mean, there, and then my first year in comedy, I like, I, I went in and out a lot. Like I went in and out of comedy a lot. Cause it was performing was not my thing. Like writing was my thing. I, I like writing. I like writing uh, scripts and I like writing you know, jokes and, but performing wasn't my thing. And then so kind of the next year I just forced myself to perform, like, you know, go up and just talk a little bit and just stand there and, and not have jokes. And I'd, I'd ask to go very late at night when there's only like a few people where it's even more awkward a little bit. So you can kind of just get through those nerves. And then by, like my third year, I like, I kind of put them together pretty well, like performing. And so I just became looser in the performing. So I mean, an audience helped a lot, you know, you do, they call it crowd work. You're just doing crowd work. You're talking to, I mean, there's some comics who are amazing at crowd work. Like if you ever get a chance to see, um, a guy by the name of Ian Bag. He's he's to me one of the best. I mean, he's a great comic. He's a great comedian. He's a super nice person too. But one of the best crowd work comics. I mean, I ever. I just I, I don't. It's like a, it's like amazing to watch someone be that fast and quick, and it's so funny, you know. So speaking of uh, of audiences and and stand up comedians that I probably have never heard of. Streaming seems to be expanding stand-up to a wider audience. Netflix in particular, they've really helped propel people like uh, Nate Bergazzi, Ali Wong, Hannah Gadsby, uh, even got Dave Chappelle out of retirement. Right. Are we in a new golden age of stand-up with Netflix? How do you think streaming is affecting things? Um, You know, I I have a a kind of a mixed feeling about that. I think the thing that has happened, uh, you know, over and with films too, right? It's like democratizing of art, right? I mean, everybody can, anybody could record themselves doing an hour of comedy and and put it on YouTube if they wanted to, right? And there there have been very great comedians who have done that. Sam Morrill. Uh, I think I think Joe List did it. I mean, these are comics who are very, in my opinion, very funny, very talented, and they bypassed uh, Netflix. They bypassed uh, to to go right to their fans, which I think is a great uh, thing to do. But I think Netflix, which is still like the ultimate, right? You you want that Netflix special? But I think they did inundate the market. There was a couple of years there where they they, they were doing like fifteen minute specials. And it felt like they were looking for not the funniest comedians. Uh, some of them were very funny. Not the funniest comedians, but some of the trying to fit uh, certain roles and categories. So in that regard, it's challenging because the, with the democratiz- democratization of art, right, like every, this, this, this art form, uh, same with filmmaking, is that uh, there is a removal of the gatekeeper, if, if you will, right, in, in the industry, the gatekeeper. But when Netflix kind of inundates the market, they still are the gatekeepers, right? And so now, and now it's just a different, it's just a different gatekeeper, right? It's not like advertisers on television, or you know, you're trying to get on Tonight Show or Conan or uh, you know Letterman. You you are now trying to get into the good graces of Netflix, right? I mean, and so I don't know. I mean, I I think though, like. With Netflix, you have people like, I don't know if you saw this most recent Bo Burnham special called Inside. I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, it's, 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 if you, if you begin to look at stand up comedy as art, it pushes towards that argument. You know what I mean? 
if you look at stand-up comedy as just being, hey, a guy standing on stage telling jokes, then obviously it's it's antithetical to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know, man. I I, I think streaming's good. I, I think streaming's bad. I I think um, it, it you know it. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but there is the fear, of course, that people will not go to live events. That's why I thought Zoom was so bad. Zoom was so. I mean, I'm hearing people have conversations about paying their bills or like getting ice from the ice machine. It, it, but you can't see them. I can't see them to address them, right? And you can't. You can't. You can't interact. So it was like streaming for them, right? And when you're watching streaming, you know, yeah, I'm on my, you know, I'm on my phone. I'm watching, you know, I'm watching Disney Plus, but I'm also on my phone, right? Did so you get heckled on a Zoom. Uh, I did not get heckled on Zoom. I had one guy who got mad at a joke that I did uh, <laughs> that he was a co- comic. And so I always, I, I, I don't know. I just get really mad at comics who get mad at other comics jokes. That, 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 that infuriates me the most. Okay. Like, you want to name him? You want to? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't even remember his name. I don't remember his name. I just know he, he didn't like a joke. Listen, Shane, we don't, Asians don't have like a real Martin Luther King <laughs> Jr. You know what I mean? We don't have, we have Martin Luther King Jr. Great, right? But we don't have an Asian person that we can use, you know, like people like to use like Bruce Lee, but Bruce Lee is like, also, you know, I got called Bruce Lee in high school. It wasn't a, it wasn't a compliment. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like <laughs> major. They're like, oh, you do karate and stuff. Like so it's like the stereotype is also like an insult to us. So that's, right. that was kind of the thing I was trying to talk about in this joke. And I, well, that, that segues perfectly into my next question. There's lots of labels for Asians and you, you know, that from growing up in Texas, I yeah. know from growing up in Alabama. Yeah. There's smart Asians. <laughs> right. Squinty-eyed, buck-tooth uh, yeah. Asians from the Bugs Bunny cartoons, Tiger right. Moms, Crazy Rich Asians, the model minority. You've given yourself a label, the funny Asian. So talk about uh, how you came up with that and why. So that was like, you know, right when Facebook started. Can you, yeah, I don't know if people remember. It just kind of emerged one day, Facebook. And uh, I grabbed it and I bought my own website. I grabbed that website too, the funny Asian. And of course... I wish I didn't put the in front of it, right? But I also, you know, I didn't call myself the funniest Asian, right? I'm just saying the funny Asian, who you're having to see, you know, at this one particular moment at time. And maybe there's other Asians on the show, but when I when I started, I was in Miami, so there was there was there was maybe one or two other Asian guys doing comedy. Yeah. And so I just grabbed that that handle, the funny Asian. So now now it's too late. I can't change it. You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> You know what I mean? Once you call yourself McDonald's and you've been doing it for 50, 60 years, you can't all of a sudden call yourself, you know, oh, Big Mac City. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, you can't change it all of a sudden, right? So uh, it is the handle I have. I'm I'm proud of it. I'm okay with it. I, I, I don't think uh, I don't think I'm taking away from anybody. I don't think I'm, you know, I don't think I'm because uh, um, there's so many. I mean, so it's so diverse now. I mean, in terms of comedy, I mean, the world, I mean. It's amazing, right? You do in a decade, you can see the changes that are occurring with racial equality. It's not there yet, but it's happening, right? You see, you can actually see it happening. Last year was a major, major push. And I just, I just find though that like the gatekeepers of like Hollywood and things like that, right? If we, just, you know, just to talk about in that particular part of the industry, I mean, they can always, you know, they, they could have always chosen, you know, uh, 
how they wanted to represent people. I mean, to, to be honest, you know what I mean? They, they could have always done that, you know? And uh, Hollywood has deliberately done that, you know, like in the 1960s when uh, Warner Brothers released um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? You know, that that's a deliberate interracial, you know, showing a, a, a black man and a white woman getting married and the parents, uh, both parents are reacting in a negative way. And then, you know, Spencer Tracy giving the great speech about love and what, what that means and, that's a de- that's deliberate. That's Hollywood choosing to to finance and push promote this movie that is talking about equality, and and Hollywood has always done this. They you know Philadelphia when the movie Philadelphia about uh, HIV and AIDS came out, you're choosing hey the next door neighbor guy you know Tom Hanks the most affable character, and they're also making him gay. Like he didn't just get it from a blood transfusion. He's gay. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the attorney who's helping him is Denzel Washington, Denzel. who, you know, sometimes in the black communities, uh, the, the stigma of homosexuality, right? So why can they do that with Asian people? Why does it always have to be, uh, why does it have to be model minority? Why does it have to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of I mean, it's hypocrisy. I mean, who's who's the lady, uh, Linda Linda Hunt, right? In 1982, yeah. I mean, she, she's playing a Chinese guy. A woman is playing, but but that's not part of the, you know, it's not like a, a, a character is going through a transition or anything like that, you know. It's a man, but they hired a woman to play the Chinese guy. I mean, there's a billion Chinese people. You can find one actor out of that whole bunch to play <laughs> You can hire a white woman, but it's because you know, somebody didn't label themselves the acting Asian, that would have well, been the that, easy. That's easy a good idea. idea. Has someone done that? <laughs> acting Asian? That's good. I should have taken that one. That's a good one. I, you, you see, you should be writing for me. Uh, you also, uh, you also spoken in the past about being mistaken for Mexican or some other minorities. Was Peruvian. it labeling yourself uh, a way to kind of let people know at the head that you are Asian? No one. No one brings me up as the funny Asian. No one ever says that. <laughs> you know what I mean, uh, I, mean I, I always just think that it's up my address right away. Um, and um, I definitely have, you know, it's changed over time. But people people still come up to me. I mean, recently, like a dude came up to me and he was like, he was like oh, you're not Asian? I mean, yeah, I just did like 20 minutes. I just explained I'm, I'm not, I look like Guatemalan, but I'm not Asian, you know? <laughs> He's like, oh man, you really look, you really look like my like my uncle from Peru, or you know, what I mean, I'm like, okay, that's, yeah, that's the, that's the point of the that's the joke I'm trying to make, you know what I mean? But like, I don't know, man, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the to expect, but um, yeah, I never, I never tell people to call me the funny Asian. It's just the website I grabbed. Now, there's also a lot of anger directed at the Asian community right now because of the coronavirus connections right. to Wuhan, some political leader statements that were made. Um, how is that affecting your comedy in terms of what you're allowed to make fun of or what you feel like making fun of, but also in terms of how audiences are reacting to you? All right. So I have like, you know, I have, I have two, two uh, minds. So I, so I have been doing a joke and this is, I don't, I don't want to get in trouble, so, but, I, but I, well, I start off and go, Hey, I'm Vietnamese, you know? So I tell people that, so I don't get blamed for last year. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know, don't don't hit me. I'm, you know, <laughs> such a what I tell people, right? So, I just, you know, I don't know. I have a little bit, you know, darker sense of humor. Uh, but I, I definitely have done that joke, and people have, you know, grown like, oh, oh how dare you? But I'm just kind of like, you know, 
that's a that's a truth. I'm, I want people to know I'm Vietnamese because 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 they're beat. I'm getting beat up. You know, we're yeah. getting beat up. Um, so I definitely. I definitely talk about race because that's what I know. I mean, that's, that's my perspective on it, but I also, you know, grew up uh, for most of my life in America and, uh, you know, grew up in small, small towns though. So I have a different perspective. I didn't grow up in a Vietnamese community. I was like one of three Asian students in my entire high school in the entire school in Waco, Texas, I was one of three, right? And so not just not just America, but the South. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so it wasn't it wasn't like, you know, I, I see these kids, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I grew up in San Francisco, and I'm like, oh yeah, you have a very rich uh, culture. You're there with your community and your people, and but I didn't get that experience. So I'm I'm telling jokes from my perspective, my experience. Uh, but I didn't have like a woman like get mad at me one time. She was like, you know, you shouldn't make those jokes. It's perpetuating uh, racism. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think I think a white woman telling me what jokes I can do <laughs> is a little bit more white supremacy than, you know, my jokes. You know, I, I feel like context. You're, you're walking into a place that says comedy club. It doesn't say your type of comedy club. It just says comedy club. So that's the subjective element. And, and if you don't like it, you can go to the bathroom, go to the bar, get a drink, go, go take a smoke break or, you know, whatever. I think, you know, the social media and things like that, you know, people, and, and I don't, you know, I don't believe in cancel culture, but I, I, I do believe in context culture. If, I, if I'm at a grocery store and I start yelling stuff about, hey, don't hit me, I'm, <laughs> I, someone should punch me in the face, right? A Chinese person should just beat, you know, beat me up. But if I'm in a, in a comedy club and I say it, I, I don't think I'm necessarily in the wrong because a lot of comedy is lying, hyperbole, right? It's, 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 it's looking for a reaction, like I said earlier. And so you're going to say something that will try to elicit reaction. And I'm not just talking about race jokes. I'm not, you know, yeah. I, there's a line there, right? I mean, uh, but I think with like, you know, sexual joke, I mean, you know, some people say some amazingly, whoa, like that's you know, gross or disgusting, but that's for me. That's to me. It feels that way. It doesn't mean that's how everybody feels. It's like, you know, you brought up Bill Cosby. I mean, he used to very, he used to chastise a lot. You know, Eddie Murphy, he would, you know, Eddie Murphy talks about it. He would tell him not to use foul language. And I I look, look, (laughs) look at what happened. I mean, you know, just because you don't use foul language doesn't mean that your, your moral character is defined, you know, in any way like that. So, um, yeah, man, I, I think it's a great question. I mean, the, the race thing, I mean, it's, uh, I, you know, I don't look at it that way. I, I, I just look at comedians, I, I, you know, we're, we're doing comedy. It's very challenging already. And so mm-hmm. you're doing the comedy that you, that you, you're talking about your perspective for, from, you know, your vantage point. So. Yeah. And you talked about that, uh, the creation of tension to be released as laughter and a lot of, a lot of comedians, a way to create that tension is to talk about uncomfortable things, whether right. it be race or sex or whatever. So. It's almost uh, inherent to what you're trying to do is to to create tension. You have to make people uncomfortable. You have to to kind of subvert people's expectations of what you're going to say. Yeah, I, I think it depends on the comic, right? Like, so Seinfeld and Jim Gaffigan, I, pr- I probably would say, you know, that they can take, and again, not a knock on their comedy. I mean, more, more impressive to me, actually. But they can take something like a Q-tip 
and and break it down to where it's so funny and it's a, you know you analyze it and the use of the Q-tip or you know Jim Gaffigan has a great thing on bowling you know he talks about bowling for like five minutes it's very funny the way he breaks it down it's sarcastic and you know he's offering this point of view and so I don't I don't necessarily think it has to be subversive uh, or or, or co- topics that are off limit but I definitely think your approach to the topic. Right. That that is what's going to be, you know, they usually say, hey, when you talk about a topic in comedy, how do you feel about it? I hate bowling. Now, maybe you're not going to say the words hate, but bowling is stupid. You're going to give that emotional thing and then you're going to explain why it's stupid. Right. And then hopefully you have a punchline. Right. Right. Um, I think sometimes comics are saying things that people are thinking, but they, they don't know how to articulate it. Right. So like, yeah, but bowling is stupid. You know what I mean? But this guy found a way to talk about all of the reasons why it's dumb. You know what I mean? Right. You know, he goes all the way from the, the size of the, you know, the balls, the holes in the ball. You know, what I mean? it's like very funny, uh, you know, like the, the little air thing. And he's really broken it down. Right. It's like, you know, if you have a uh, if you're able to eat nachos while you're doing a sport, you know, that's not a sport. You know, what I mean, it's, like it's, it's it's you know, he's broken it down so so thoroughly. And, you know, it's not something I can, oh, I, I just don't like bowling. But he's found a way to, to, to articulate it, you know. And I think comics try to do that. And I think, I think every, you know, always switches. Styles of comedy switch. There's absurd style. There's one-liners. Uh, lately, last few years, it's more of like a storytelling comic. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily the funniest punchlines. But they're they're being honest, I guess, and I and that's the kind of thing I don't like. You know, that's kind of like I don't like that because that kind of goes into like uh, spoken word. I think you know, for me, you know, it's cool, compelling stories for sure. But like, it's not stand up. Stand stand up is different. I think. Yeah, I know Steve Martin was playing with that a little bit too. Once he got further into stand up, he he had this idea about what happens if you don't let the audience release tension. So what if I don't put in punchlines? You know, he was, he had like the arrow on his head yeah, and uh, would just say crazy things, but not necessarily have a punchline. Does the audience then create their own uh, release points? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's, he's so unique at, you know, in that time when he was coming up. Um, But yeah, I mean, it it is, it is definitely, yeah, I know everybody has their own thing, but I, I think, again, that's what I think styles change. And I think Hollywood, pushes the style that they want to see i mean if you watch america's got talent right i mean they're they're essentially you know they're putting that story on there they're putting the comedian that has that story and they're pushing that story and it's really not about the jokes it's about their the the, the person which is great and again i think that's great but i don't know man I'm, I'm i like to think of the world in a vacuum and i'd like to think of it as just like hey i'm on a stage in a comedy club not not at the uh, you know not on tv on a comedy club with a crowd that has to buy two drinks and uh, we're going to make fun of stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, whatever that may be, but it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be fun, right? It's meant to be fun. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know if I have any of the answers that, you know, answer your questions about writing, but I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, what I said earlier, it's just, there's a definitive metric for comedy laughter. And so I think, you know, Hollywood is, you know, some of the, some of the, the Netflix uh, specials, you know, they kind of, have been pushing, you know, younger comics who they have an identity, which makes them unique, and they'll, you know, probably be on TV shows and have a sitcom for them. But I don't know, 
I'm trying to I'm trying to in, incorporate my identity into my jokes, if that makes sense, and yeah. try not and sometimes not trying to I, you know put my identity in the jokes. Talking about marriage and talking about relationships, and that doesn't have to necessarily be about my race or identity. So let's end today with your best piece of storytelling advice, and it doesn't have to be about comedy or humor. Just in general, what's your what's your best piece of storytelling advice? I think you just have to be uh, disciplined. I mean, I, you know, I hate this. Sounds very Asian, right? Like uh, you have to be very, you know, but I, I think even, you know, writing can occur in your car while you're driving. Uh, you, you can occur in, you know, in the shower, right? You're thinking of ideas. I think just thinking of your story is, is writing. And in terms of storytelling, I mean, I, you know, I'm a big believer of writing first. I mean, writing is the storytelling to me. And I, I think because nowadays you have so many, um, your phones can just record, you know, the, the, you know, memos, you know, you're in traffic, you have ideas, you can just talk into your phone. You have the ability to, to do it, but you have to do it. You have to do it every day. You know, I, I, I teach a screenwriting class and it, it is just about the, it, even when you're not feeling creative, just typing or writing, you know, something, journaling, it's something. And then over time, you're going to figure out the story you're telling. Right. I mean, you're going to figure that out. But, you know, once once you you keep doing it every day, then you can find all the pieces. But I, I think storytelling, you need to have that conflict. But there's no there's no conflict if you don't write at all. I mean, nothing, nothing will be produced. So you have, you have to produce something. You have to write a little bit. So write so just every day. Get it written. Yeah. Or, or talk. I mean, either just think about it. Talk, talk it through every day. 20 minutes. Think about your story. Think about your ideas. Um, and yeah, I mean, not. It may not be 20 minutes, you know, at one time, 10 minutes here, two minutes here, but just, just take time to think about it and write it down, jot it down, record it. Um, and yeah, I think that's the best way to begin to create stories to tell. And then performance wise, that's, I don't know if that's what you're into, but you're talking about scripts and screenplays and comic books and things like that. So I don't know, that doesn't apply, but you gotta, you gotta sit down and write. That's, you know, that's the nexus right there. All right. Well, thanks for chatting with me today. That was probably the least funny talk about comedy that we could have. What are you talking about, man? That was hilarious, dude. You, Cause you told me it was going to be 20 minutes. Yeah. Now we're at 40. Yeah, so terrible. Catch uh, John Wynn, AKA the funny Asian standup schedule at the funny Asian.com and f- go see his show. Thanks. Great. Really great. Really enthusiastic <laughs> there, Shane. That's really appreciate that. I'm like, sure. They'll be clamoring. The tickets will all be sold out based on that. Based on that uh, enthusiastic (laughs) You can watch more of these podcasts on YouTube. Subscribe to Spilled Ink Media. If you're more the audio podcast type, then find Beginning Middle End Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can tweet me at Twitter at Optional D. And we're just starting out on this journey, so any positive review, comment, or thumbs up really helps. Tune in next time as we unravel more great story threads. Thanks. The end. Oh, 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 oh,